Therapy with My Mom is an educational podcast meant to entertain and provide individual perspectives to our listeners. This podcast is in no way a substitute for professional counseling. If you are in need of mental health services, please reach out to a professional in your area. This podcast may also cover sensitive topics or involve triggering words about death, loss, and trauma. Please use your own discretion when listening to this podcast and consider whether the topic being discussed is something you are ready to fully explore. Welcome to Therapy with My Mom, a podcast hosted by a mother and son who love each other very much. Aw, hi, I'm Julie Barkowskis. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, a certified addictions counselor, as well as a somatic experiencing practitioner. I've been providing therapy on an outpatient basis in my private practice for over 20 years. I'm Ryan Barkowskis, her son and a millennial that was graced with having two parents who are both social workers. This podcast is here to educate our listeners on the various aspects surrounding mental health. Our guests will include individuals who are going to share personal stories on mental health struggles, as well as professionals who can shed light on the array of therapeutic approaches. We hope you enjoy the journey with us. Welcome to our show. Brian, I was just telling you that... um, I'm having a real good time with my TMJ today. Yes. So, uh, yeah. That's sarcasm. Yeah. You poor, you poor thing. You're in pain. Aw. Yeah. Well, for all those TMJ sufferers, I just want you to yeah. know I understand. Yeah. And uh, now this this isn't a TMJ podcast, ya. but could you uh, break down the acronym <laughs> just because because you are mentioning? I it? couldn't even tell you. Do you notice that we're talking and we have this lovely guest here and he is like looking at us like, what the heck are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> we're not here to talk about DMJ. We're not here, actually, but we could get into the narrative part of this, right? Yes. We, could, we have a wonderful guest here, Rob Castillo, who uh, has been so kind and nice to be a part of our podcast today. And we're going to talk about narrative therapy. And I actually attended many, many years ago uh, a training that Rob put on about narrative therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was learning a lot about it as it as approached in working with people with substance abuse at the time for me. Um, although I know it's used in other um, ways. But uh, I just want to introduce everybody here and welcome Rob. How are you doing today, Rob? I am just dandy. I... Uh... I remember doing a graduate internship and um, I had a really good supervisor back then. I don't know if I can remember her name. Mm-hmm. Memorable, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who taught me a so few there's things. There's a little history so. here that Rob is mentioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were my uh, supervisor during my first clinical mm-hmm. internship god how long ago was that wow did you know that right i did not know that i know my mom has a connection to many of our guests which is cool you know some former colleagues current colleagues people that she's had trainings from and with uh um, yeah. so it makes sense but my mom <laughs> my mom is like in her 30s so like i can't understand yeah, how I can't imagine why she, she has a, so has any people. sort of like long professional past yeah yeah, I've come across a lot of people in my lifetime. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Rob and Rob was a wonderful intern. Mm-hmm. Very wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Problem child, maybe, but you know. He passed. He passed. <laughs> but anyway, Rob, what we were really excited about having you on is obviously this subject is a, an interesting mm-hmm. subject for our listeners to learn more about. But also, uh, we'd love to have our listeners get to know you a little bit more, besides the fact that you and I know each other from, the, from yes. a long time ago. So besides that, I mean, obviously you 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 said you're a social worker, right? Uh, and you're mm-hmm. I know you're in private practice now, right? I am a licensed uh, clinical social worker. Um, I'm also a uh, certified advanced alcohol drug counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have certification in do working with co-occurring disorders and. I, with the addictions uh, certification, I had started the addictions training program at a local university where I worked for approximately 10 or 12 years. Mm-hmm. I also uh, did the first uh, program in the state of Illinois where uh, we did a program where they could students could get certification in co-occurring disorders there Hmm. so yeah so I kind of did a lot within that university um I also do private practice I also as part of my private practice I do assessments for uh people who test positive for safety-sensitive positions, such as CDL, truck drivers, uh, mm. people who talk to tr- talk to airplanes, you know, um, pilots, uh, people who uh, uh, work on railroads. Uh, so I'm, I'm a SAP, mm. <laughs> substance abuse professional. Um, I, I, <laughs> I often joke and say that uh, I've been called worse by some of my clients who have been referred through the court system. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I do. Yeah, a little especially bit of when this. you give recommendations they're not happy with. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. So yeah. I, I yeah. do a little bit of a little bit of everything. Um, I recently started teaching again. I'm teaching a class at Loyola University. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, after being out of the classroom for a couple of years. And uh, so I'm doing that. So, um, yeah, I do a little bit of everything. You know, based on what you've shared with us, I clearly see that you're quite knowledgeable here if you're Mm -hmm. as you're describing all your background. Uh, So um, we're just grateful uh, to have all that uh, all that from a reference. And one of the things we like to do here on our program, just to kind of get people more comfortable, is we like to do an icebreaker. Uh, my icebreaker always has a lead-in, and it it starts with, if you were, and then I fill mm-hmm. in the blank and I ask you. Sometimes it's a multiple-choice question. Sometimes it's uh, just a fill-in-the-blank question. Yeah. Today, it's a fill-a-blank question. <gasps> so, And this one's for, this is, um, uh, Ryan gets to participate as well. Oh, thank mm-hmm. you. And it is. If you were able to go back to a certain age in time, what age would you go back to and why? <laughs> certain so I have to go first? 
Oh no, Wrangles. No, you, you could defer. Like if oh, you yeah. wanted to, <laughs> you need to time. Wait. <laughs> so it could be you want to go back to the age because that was a happy age, or you can go back to that age for a different purpose. But it, you can pick whatever you want to pick for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I would go back to probably um eighteen, uh, mm-hmm. and okay. just you, you know graduating high school. Uh, and I say that just because you know I had a lot of fun in high school. I also probably made some bad choices, although like mm-hmm. anything else, our bad choices, at least for me, kind of uh, formed where I am today. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think I would have made less bad choices. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I, I, I would have had more fun oh you would have said to the 18 year old you need to have more fun yeah okay more fun but better choices with that right right yes he'd still have fun but he'd probably make wiser choices wiser wiser choices yes that's a good way of putting it yeah yeah. Now, for this question, are we assuming that we go back? Like, I feel like we asked some sort of hypothetical like this. Do we have the knowledge and like the memories that we have currently in our younger bodies? Mm-hmm. Uh, or am I just not... am I just rewinding the clock and then suddenly I wake up and I'm 13 again and I have to go to school and I don't like I just have to go through the motions again. I don't I don't know that I reset the clock. I. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> this, is this is this very is a groundhog. This is a groundhog day question here. <laughs> yes. What are your groundhog day rules? I'm not a I don't have a you know you're resetting the clock. I have the if I you know, kind of like what I would have liked. Like for me, if I go back to a certain age, it's either because I want to have uh, a mm. time in my life that was a really positive, joyful time that I want to relive. Or yeah. I want to go back and repair something. So that's yeah. what I'm leading into. If I don't have the knowledge I have now, I don't know if I can correct my actions. So if I just go back. Okay. So you have the knowledge you have now. Okay. Okay. Cool. <laughs> then okay. then 13. So like that's <laughs> that's my answer because I want to do middle school better. Um, if I had to just live the life again and just enjoy the experience, it would probably be 18, like just going to college again. Um <laughs> But mm-hmm. if I was more informed about it, I would go back to middle school and just like be mm-hmm. much more confident and uh, figuring things out earlier on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. About you, what what I age would you, you go would back ask. to? Oh my yeah. god, I have so many. I would like to go back and do. <laughs> yeah, different. You're like exactly three months ago. That's that's the age I liked. Um, I have two times. Okay. One time is to go back to my 18 months old self or almost two year old self and save me from a trauma. Mm-hmm. And that would be really, really nice if I could have done that mm-hmm. and and to protect me from that. The other would be uh, right at my first uh, my first year of college, which really wasn't it was it was mixed, but it was also a, kind of a difficult adjustment. And I would have liked to have had an opportunity to, I don't know, be at a, 
have maybe have more resources to help yeah. me sort things out. I did get it all sorted out and it, it all worked out in the end, but it was a rough year, my first year in college, which yeah. I think some people do have a rough year. Yeah. That makes sense. It's interesting that all three of us mentioned like that time, like that's a very strong, yeah. important transitional time that we're like, yeah, for, for one reason or another might be valuable to go back. Well, so it commonly can be a period of where we're beginning to discover, like form our sense of self and yep. form as, you know, our stage of self-actualization. So yeah. you're kind of like moving away from your parents and now kind of becoming you in a, in a, in you might be change. You change a little, you change a lot. Who knows? Yeah. But um, yeah. So I hope our listeners enjoyed that conversation. <laughs> they can they can all imagine what age they would want to go back to personally. They might they might have an answer that a lot of them might have this in common, like you just mentioned, since we all have some similar responses. Which is kind of interesting because that whole concept mm -hmm. is kind of related to narrative, which I'm sure we'll talk Absolutely. about later. Yes, it does. <laughs> So how did you end up getting interested in narrative therapy? I think in grad school, uh, one of my professors talked about it. And as I kind of read about it, 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 it made sense to me. And mm -hmm. one of the things about narrative therapy is it tends to incorporate in some ways other therapies, I think mm -hmm. you know many of the therapeutic theories that we use. A lot of them overlap, anyways. Mm -hmm. However, I do believe that narrative therapy utilizes other therapeutic interventions um, more than more than others, mm -hmm. and I like the proactive kind of uses of it it uh it's very active as opposed to proactive or reactive it allows for the therapist and the client to really team up together yeah. and you know um addresses numerous issues and it allows for uh it takes a, a different approach one yeah. of the main things that I really like about it is narrative therapy says that the problem is the problem, not the patient. And I think just that approach itself is kind of different. A lot of times we tend to look at, okay, so what's your diagnosis? What's your label? What's wrong with you um, in narrative therapy? We say, tell me your story. Tell me your narrative. Mm -hmm. And I think that is such a relief for so many people. And if you think about narrative therapy, storytelling is such a big part of our lives. Think about before we could even, before humans were even verbal. Think about the uh, the drawings in, you mm -hmm. know, the caveman days, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. they told a story, right. right. Of a exactly. hunting expedition. And they told it through 
the drawings in in caves mm -hmm. that was a story and i think so even back then when we couldn't even talk there was a story that yeah. we would tell and there's a, a therapeutic value in that yeah and then obviously from what i understand in my limited research and uh, experience with narrative therapy you know it's it's shaping that story it's working with that and um, a big part of it is externalizing uh right is externalizing the issue and like you said you're working on it with your your therapist you know it's something that right. that's the problem and it's you guys against that exactly exactly and and you one of the approaches is what we call externalize the problem Mm -hmm. So many people feel like they're the problem, right? And so what we do is we kind of say, let, let's, if you could name your problem, sometimes mm -hmm. I'll have a client say, okay, let's, what would your problem look like? Um, what would you name it? Mm -hmm. And I have so many, uh, you know, great examples. One one of my favorite is, and of course, when I first say that to somebody, they roll their eyes at me. What do you mean, name it? What yeah. do you mean, draw it? Chuck? Like I named my problem Chuck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and oh, Chucky. My, <laughs> yeah, well, Chucky. And, you yeah. Know, my problem is an it, animated though. doll that is trying to hurt Yeah, me. <laughs> think about it, though. Yeah, what, yeah. What, you know, and I have some, like, favorite examples is where uh, – I had a client and his name was Lou. His big issue was, was dealing with anger. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we talked about, you know, what would your anger look like? And he's just like, I don't know. And I said, well, what would you name him? He's like, what do you mean? What would I name him? And I just, <laughs> and I said, just think about it. What, what would you, it's like, it's called anger. And I said, no, I want you to personalize it. I want you to be able, so we can externalize it. And he's just like mm -hmm. rolling his eyes at me and, <laughs> moving around in this chair. And I said, you know, let's think about this. Let's give me an example. If you could name it, what would you name it? And then all of a sudden he just kind of stopped and he leaned forward, kind of freaked me out for a minute, you know, mm -hmm. and he, and he, he's like Lucifer. Mm. Ah, yeah. And I'm like, okay. Nice. You know, and he's like, it's like the anger is the devil. It's like the anger is Lucifer. Mm -hmm. nice. So, so then, and it's not about giving excuse. Mm -hmm. It's about separating that problem yeah. from the person. So yeah. now, you know, when he would come in and he would say something about something he did or said, and I said, so was that you or was that Lucifer? Mm -hmm. And so we started to be able to, you know, seriously separate yeah. him from the problem. That makes so much sense. Like to, to literally give it a name like that is such a valuable tool to be like, it's not you because it has another name. Right. Exactly. The other part that I think about is that we have... Now we're saying this is you have your observing self that's right. now noticing and seeing this other part of you, but it but you are not 
you don't have to be it. Like exactly. you're basically saying, because if I externalize it, I don't have to be it. I'm I'm observing and noticing this part of my behavior, the problem, but I don't have to be the problem. And exactly. I'm and the observing self is such an important piece to have that we use as a resource. Exactly. And so like sometimes I would uh one of another one would be somebody named their their problem the devil's advocate, you know. And I would ask, so did you get any visits this week from the devil's advocate? <laughs> and again, it's just a really effective way of helping the client um, separate themselves from the problem. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and the, I think the word themselves separate the self right. from the problem. Exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so after I'm able to kind of help them really get that concept, then another kind of form of narrative therapy is now we begin to say, okay, are you ready to say goodbye to that, you know, to Lou or to Archie or to all the other names that people have said? And one of the things that I think is very important is for the client to understand that that problem served a purpose at one point. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what I mean by that is um, I had uh, uh, a client and and she just grew up and, and she was, I don't know, can we? can we cuss on this? <laughs> but she she would call herself, you know, just a real bitch and everything. And mm-hmm. she grew up with her hands up mm-hmm. and she couldn't understand why, you know, she had trouble keeping relationships and not just romantic relationships, relationships with people. She would never give people a chance. Okay. The minute she even thought something bad was going to happen, um, the claws would come out, the fists would come out, okay? Um, And Susie, little Susie was there. So, and so we talked about, okay, well, what was Susie doing? Susie was protecting you, okay? Mm -hmm. The client grew up in a very abusive family. Dad was alcoholic, Dad was also physically abusive. She was sexually abused. Okay. So all this abuse. So what did she learn? That she had to protect herself. Mm-hmm. So she built this wall around herself by being a bitch. And, you know, having this, the claws out, the fists up. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what I had to help her understand was that, that, that behavior at six, seven, eight years old helped her survive. That was a survival mechanism. Sure. And that really helped her get through such a difficult time. However, as she grew older, Susie became less effective. She became less needed. So at 15, 
it really began to have a negative effect because it was hard for her to keep friends. Mm -hmm. At 19, it was even less effective because it, she couldn't keep a job. And, mm -hmm. you know, hard for her to keep relationships. So we were able, it was important for us when she understood that, that when it came time to writing a goodbye letter, that in the goodbye letter, I had to start with thanking Susie. Mm -hmm. Thanking Susie for protecting her. Okay. Because Susie wasn't all bad. Susie mm -hmm. got her through some really difficult times. However, she outgrew the need for Susie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and she also had to grieve Susie, sure. which was kind of difficult for her to get. Why would I need to grieve yeah. Susie? She ruined my life. However, she also protected you. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was at one point in time, you know, before we totally externalize, it's it's a sense of yourself, right? Susie mm -hmm. came from your need in the time. And so mm -hmm. it was you, you know, protecting yourself in the way that your body and brain knew to. So it's important to honor that you right. knew what to do in the moment to keep yourself safe. Um, Susie, you know, we want to thank ourselves and our Susie's for being there when we need them to. And then, yeah, right. when it's time to move on, though, yeah, it's, of course, you're going to grieve. Exactly. And, and may I just throw in here my awareness, my curiosity goes to I'm grieving the loss of a competent protector. Right. And Susie was my protector. And so what my loss is, is I didn't have a competent protector. And so there's this grief coming in related yeah. to what Susie manifested that she didn't have to deal with the loss of the yeah. competent protector. Yeah. And so I'm just using that example. Yeah. Yeah. So I must imagine that must be difficult. And she's dealing with that loss of self or, you know, the the other the the aspect and then having to learn the coping skills as well. So she's going to have to learn a new way to protect herself while lowering her boundaries. Right. Changing, and I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah. yeah, yeah, because, you know, in the meantime, we're also talking about and helping her learn, you know, new, more appropriate coping right. skills and, and also kind of a new radar, right? Yeah because her radar before was so hypersensitive that any look would be, they're looking at me wrong. I know they want to screw me over. Well, you know, that was based on, you know, right. her experiences before. However, now what we have to do is help you understand that you're not that six-year-old girl anymore. Mm -hmm. You're not, you know, the eight-year-old vulnerable girl anymore. Now you can stand up for yourself. Now you're confident. And how can we help you um, gain new coping strategies and uh, filter, uh, you know, who who is wanting to help you versus hurt you versus just be. So sometimes that's even just as hard, if not more difficult. Yeah, because the six-year-old self is not in any way um, uh, looking from an 
separational thought standpoint. They're not separating that some people are safe and some people aren't. They're basically right. saying all people aren't all people aren't safe because that's that's the development of that brain. Right. So we're really trying to we're really trying to pull them from that trauma and where that brain got stuck in that trauma and then move them into the development of, you know what, there's this other part of you that's wise and can differentiate and can start noticing and start orienting to that there's something else that could be happening here. Exactly. So one of the the things I was going to ask you is you said that you give them homework. So what is the homework that you give them? Um, some of the homework depends on where we are in the process of therapy. So mm-hmm. part of it is at the beginning, I might give them how many, you know, how many times did Susie show up this week? Okay. When did, when did Susie show up? Okay. So that could be part of it. Uh, I might give them a list of questions such as, what do you think Susie wants for you? Okay. So in other words, you know, does Susie want good things for you? You know, um, what is Susie, what does Susie want your future to look like? And then follow up with what do you want your future to look like? Mm -hmm. And then we compare and contrast. So one of the questions that I might ask and then ask them to elaborate on this, you know, between the session is if they become emotional is, you know, and and first of all, you know, one of the things newer therapists freak out about is when a client starts to cry. It's like, oh, my God, what do I do? My client's crying. It's like, Okay, let them cry. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's okay. If I see a, a client and and they become emotional, I will let them become emo. You know, let them let the let them emote <laughs> for a little bit, mm-hmm. and then I ask them if those tears could talk, what would they say? Mm-hmm. That's like really powerful. And sometimes the client's in touch with it and sometimes they're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that could be part of a homework assignment. I could, I might say, I want you to think about that. What do you think your tears were trying to say in this moment? And I want you to write about that. Any kind of journaling assignments. And, and I have some clients who obviously are really, really good about it. Some, oh, I forgot it at home. They, they left their homework at home. Mm-hmm. Um, their dog ate their homework assignment, you know, things <laughs> like that, right? Um, some people don't want to do the homework. <laughs> right. And yeah. some, some people, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that. You know, this mm-hmm. is like the third time in a row you haven't either done your homework assignment or that you forgot your homework assignment. So, you know, I'll, I'll make that. What's that about? Did you forget your homework or did Susie forget your homework? Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm always Mm -hmm. trying to tie in the externalized problem. Um, The other thing about journaling is now, of course, I always, first of all, how if somebody's going to journal, I don't care how they do it. 
as long as they do it, right? So mm -hmm. I will tell people when they do any kind of homework or journaling for me, you know, people have this idea that journaling is like almost a dissertation, you know, that it has to be paragraphs, it has to be grammatically correct and things of that nature. I tell them if it's bullet points, that's journaling. If it's a picture, that's journaling. If you want to send me lyrics to a song, that's journaling, right? Because mm -hmm. that's representative. And speaking of the journaling to a song, I want to I want to go into that too in a minute. Anything can be journaling. Okay. Now, ideally, I I have some like I said, I have some clients that are just really really great about it, and they'll send me, you know, their their journal assignment, you know, before their their session, which is great. Um, I prefer that they write it out as opposed to typing it or texting it. Um, the reason for that is because it, when you're writing it out, there's this thing that goes on in your brain where as you're writing it, most people can kind of almost hear themselves, right? As they're, as they're writing it out. So you almost have that audible piece. And then there's something about actually seeing it flow from your brain to the paper. And then there's that reading it. So when you actually are writing it, you tend to utilize more of your senses. There's more of a cathartic kind of uh, result from that. And I feel like you get more from that. Now, if it's they're going to text it or type it or nothing, I'll take the texting and typing. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I've had clients, I have this, this younger kid, and of course, Julie, you can relate to this. Almost everybody's a kid to me. Um, but, uh, right. No, I'm I, a kid. What are you oh, talking okay. about? That's right. You're only 30 <laughs> years old. What am I saying? Yeah, um, yeah. He's really good about doing the homework assignments. And so I got him to uh, do the actual write out and he felt really, really uncomfortable. So I said, okay, you know, if, if you'd rather do the typing, that's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, at least you gave it a shot, especially younger people. They really relate to music. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I will have them if they talk about a song mm -hmm. and I'll say, well, send me the song. Send me that song. And then when they do, you know, we'll, I'll, I'll download the lyrics. And then during the session, I said, let's, let's go through this. Let's go through this line by line and tell me, what does that line mean to you? Mm -hmm. How does this relate to your life narrative? And I will tell you, they're really surprised that I take the time to download the, the lyrics and also that I make the effort to understand. Now, sometimes I get some songs that are like really hard to listen to. 
However, it's still, it's a way to understand their world. It's a way to understand Mm -hmm. their, um, their, their story, their narrative. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, uh, when I was talking about this in class, um, a student had said that she was in a school doing school social work and she was trying to relate to this to this girl had two or three sessions like uh and the girl would not open up to her and so the girl said to her if you want to understand me read this book and said what the book was so my student, being the excellent student she was, wrote the name of the book down, went and bought it, and started to read it, and purposely put that book on the desk so that the next time the student came in, the student would see that book. Mm-hmm. So when the student came in, she came in, hands folded, like she usually did, saw the book and said, you got that book? And my student said, yeah. And she's like, did you read it? I said, well, I, I got through the first chapter. And of course, what happened? The the student or the kid started to talk. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, it's just amazing if we just make a little bit of effort to try to understand our client's story or their narrative. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. right. You know, it's interesting because years ago, um, I recall working with someone who just had such profound sexual abuse, uh, unimaginable. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for her to even find a way to start working through that, it was music was one of her resources to help her. And so she made a list of all the songs that told her story. And then she she said, here's my story. And I said, well, I'll listen to those. And basically, we talked about them. And I, and mm-hmm. that's kind of because it was so hard for her in that trauma to find the words, to find a way to express themselves. And so here was this beautiful resource that they could use. And I think about how that's what we're really talking about. People need resources to find right. ways to work through whatever that history is that needed to get taken care of. Right those songs then become their voice. Mm -hmm. A book can become their voice. A drawing can become their voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so cool that you like, you know, obviously you're relating to the client in this way. You're like, you know, talk to me about what you're connecting to. Let's, you know, let's break that down and explain why you connect to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like that would really help someone get personal with it and feel like, oh yeah, there's a way to explain this or yeah, I have a reason to feel connected to this. It's nice to explore that. Right. Um, so with, uh, I'm curious with the like application of narrative therapy, um, I believe in it sounds like that it's, it's pretty applicable to many, many problems that you could be dealing with. You know, we're talking about trauma here. You know, mm-hmm. we're also just talking about um, any sort of, problem that we can externalize right be it anger management or does this also work with like addictions and Mm -hmm. uh, anxiety Mm -hmm. depression definitely definitely so with addictions we will 
talk about what that addiction is. We'll externalize the problem. Uh, we'll say something like, you know, so let's say their drug of choice is heroin, for example. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about, so do you think heroin wants you to be successful in life? What do you think heroin wants for you and your future? What do you think heroin wants for your wife? Do you think heroin cares about your kids? So again, instead of saying, because if I was to say, do you care about your wife? Do you care about your kids? They're going to take that very personal, right? Because mm -hmm. then it's like an attack on them. However, if I ask them, you know, do, do you care? Do you think heroin cares about your kids? That's different. Then they're looking at it from the heroin perspective. Right. So that can be real helpful. Um, a lot of times we'll do maybe a, a history. So we might say, let, let's do a alcohol and drug history. So let's talk about when you first started. Let's talk about why you started. What was your first experience? And so, you know, I'll have prompts for them and have them write that out. One of the things that I'll do sometimes, especially with somebody who perhaps has issues with relapse, okay, they, they're maybe a chronic relapser, is I will ask them to write out their next relapse. Mm -hmm. It's a story, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and they'll say, well, what do you mean? And I'll say, well, write about the next time you relapse. Write, write out that story. Well, I don't want to have a next relapse. And I said, I know. However, if you do, tell me what that would look like. Tell me what happens. Tell me what happens the month before, the weeks before, the day before, the day of. I want to know the chain of events. And they kind of like look at me. And so depending on the client, because everything is always, you know, depends on that client, mm -hmm. I'll say, one of, one of the sayings I often say is everything is diagnostic, right? Mm -hmm. Everything's going to tell me something. So based on that story and the narrative, that's going to tell me. And most importantly, it's going to tell them what their relapse triggers are. Because mm. sometimes they don't know. Yeah. So they may start the story of, I start to not go to as many meetings or I stop calling my sponsor. I think I have this, I can handle it. So again, whatever it is, they they incorporate all that into this relapse story. Yeah. Okay. And then we go over it. And then of course I get my little yellow highlighter <laughs> and I highlight all these things and then I give it back to them and I'll ask them, these are your triggers. These are mm -hmm. your 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 things you got to watch out for. And 
So they're like, oh, wow. I guess I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I had like a dollar for every time somebody told me that. I wish I never thought of it that way. Um, yeah, that's the operative phrase for narrative therapy is like, oh, wow, a new way to think about it. A new way to think about it. And so then we talk about each one of those. Well, well what can we do? How can we change that narrative? How can we mm-hmm. have it so that you don't have this end yeah. result? Okay. So, you know, that's that's another kind of cool way to do that. Uh, Another thing with addiction, which again, sometimes people look at me like I'm crazy, which happens often, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, is when we're talking about their addiction and and their use and stuff, is I'll ask them, so, you know, when you were partying, you know, and and what are you going to miss about it? And they'll look at me and say, what do you mean? So, well, you know, you were doing cocaine and drinking. What are you going to miss about that? And they'll say, I, you're not supposed to ask me that. <laughs> and why not? Because aren't there going to be time? Aren't there going to be things you're going to miss about it? Well, yeah, but I didn't expect you to ask me that. Right. Well, but mm-hmm. there's going to be things you're going to miss, right? And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about what you're going to miss. And because that's part of your narrative, that's part of your story, right? Because not mm-hmm. every time you use was there this tragic event. Yeah. Because I think that's what ends up happening. Everybody tells them how terrible it is. Every time you use, it's this terrible thing. Mm-hmm. That's not true. Sometimes they used and they actually had a good time and nothing happened. Let's mm-hmm. talk about that. And let's talk about how, yes, that did happen. And there was also these other times that a bunch of crap happened and it caused them to get divorced. It caused them to get arrested. It caused all this. Compare and contrast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So That's great. So they're like, I never had anybody ask me that. Okay, well, you never came to me before. <laughs> <laughs> this just feels like the way it's it's so simply like asking people to elaborate the scenario or explain it according to an experience that they should be familiar with. It's right. just it's just a perfect framing that's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, just talk to me, tell me the story of this, and then we can glean all the info that we need from that it just like right all of it just seems so practical and effective and being like yeah great like this look how simple it is that we found out these are your triggers or this is like the things that you value that have to do with your addictions and the needs that maybe uh come out of that what's actually a need and what's not you know and then right yeah just walking through that you just want to give that perspective right I also like to tell clients that they're the expert Mm -hmm. on them, not me. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, well, if I'm the expert, why am I paying you? (laughs) And and I'll say, well, you're the expert on you. I'm the expert on trying to help you guide through change. Mm -hmm. So, but you're the expert on you. You know you. Mm -hmm. My job is to help you 
guide you through the changes that you're willing to make. Yeah. And I think too many times therapists come across as I'm the expert on change, but I'm also the expert on you. I know what's best for you. Right. And that's, if you come across that way, you're going to lose them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not like you're the tour guide because that would like you don't right. have the map of their brain. You are their their bodyguard, their confidant. You know, right. You're like, look, I just know how to help keep you safe. Like that's my expertise. Right. And then and then you you take us where we're gonna go. I'm gonna tell you, okay, this is this is the best way to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, when you asked about you know just the different techniques or things. Uh, you know, one of the things is, uh, um, I think it's, uh, Bill O'Hanlon, I think it is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he, he uses, are you familiar with that yes. with him? The do one thing different. Um, he talks about, you know, getting people to kind of tell their like daily life, their daily story, and then get them to do one thing different. It goes back to the question you guys started at the beginning. You know, what, where would we go back? What would we change? We change one thing mm-hmm. and we can slowly start to change different. You know, it just changes the narrative. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing can create a shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, narrative is, is also used in critical incidents. Okay. Yes. Yes. Critical right? incident debriefing. Mm-hmm. Right. What's the first thing we do? We gather everybody who's been there and we say, okay, what did you see? What did you hear? You know, what did you smell? Right. Narrative is a component of critical incident debriefing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, and that's what I mean. I think going back to one of the other questions you asked was, you know, what got me into it? It's just that I think it's so effective in so many different elements. Yes. It's a definitely good. It's a wonderful tool that you can use to help people. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add about uh, what might be helpful for our listeners, even if they were to explore this more for themselves, whether it be the professional or be uh, the lay person, uh, something in terms of like a book that they could uh, get that it would be all about journaling or if there's some other resources out there there are books um about narrative with everything narrative is used with young with little kids uh it's right. used with adolescents there there's a a great story about a little kid who was you know having trouble uh not pooping during the night and so they externalized the problem and and they called it sneaky poo (laughs) (laughs) um i don't work with little kids i don't work with adolescents however you know there's books on using it with with uh with that person with with that population it's used with um grief and loss it's used with uh you know with uh transition from different developmental stages i mean there are tons of books where it can be used with just about every population in healthcare um i i i have seen a couple books 
on it being used, you know, like in medical social work, mm-hmm. uh, that kind right. of thing. So there's, there's almost nothing, no uh, population that I don't think it wouldn't be helpful with. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to add, Rob, before we move on to our next segment? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's another segment. Oh, we got we got a couple more to wind yeah. down here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we uh we we enjoy exploring the topic of narrative therapy, of course, and then the stories, the narratives that you got to share with us are all great examples. I think painted us a great picture. At the end, though, I like to ask some basic psychology questions. I want to see if you some psychology. Yes, it's a it's a it's a real word. You can look it up. Uh, It's spelled as it sounds. And (laughs) I'm just proud of the fact that you're my son, because this is how Uh I enunciate my words as well. (laughs) I could have redone that, too, but I decided to roll through it. And I'm going to keep this to show the audience that I am a human. I'm a proud or enunciator so i just uh-huh. want to proclaim that uh-huh. yes. <laughs> yes so these are my psychology questions and these are to <laughs> test uh if we just have some of the basic trivia still in us from our psych 101 classes and also to teach educate delay people that are listening to this podcast so okay I'm going to ask you three multiple choice questions this will have multiple choices to make it easier for you guys and, and you are a professor. And you are a professor. <laughs> um, so I'll ask you first. And if you don't know, then you can pass to my mom. Uh, and if you get pass. it wrong, uh, yeah, oh. <laughs> immediate pass. Immediate pass. All right. All right, Rob, are you ready to get psyched? Sure. Get psyched. Get psyched. All right. First one. So easy. The word psychology comes from which language? Latin, Spanish, Greek, Italian. Okay, say those again. The word psychology yeah. comes from which language? Put your fingers down and there would be no cheating, Mom. Latin, <laughs> Spanish, Greek, Italian. Latin. That is incorrect. Mom, oh, do damn. you want to uh, to give it a go? <laughs> I thought that was the answer. I it's know. Greek. Then it's Greek. It's Greek. It's Greek. Okay. It had well, to be one or the flunk. other. I ain't got to flunk this. <laughs> well, I was either I was like, it's either Latin or Greek. Yeah. Everyone's like, everything well, that, comes from Latin, That's what I was right? thinking too. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm Catholic, so. Yeah. <laughs> you deferred to it. No, it's Greek. It's psyche, which means life, solar mind, and, you know, logia. Which is the study of, right? So it's study okay. of the mind. So that's mm. Greek. All right. That's okay. Staying on the line of the of the Greek. Um, the Greek <laughs> philosopher blank believed that knowledge is acquired through experience and learning. Which Greek philosopher believed that knowledge is acquired through experience and learning? Was it Archimedes, Rousseau, Plato, or Aristotle? Oh, I think it's either Plato or Aristotle. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look so bad. <laughs> I hope I did really good. All so your for... students are going yeah. to let oh, you know. I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I am a social worker. Yeah. I'm not a psychologist, so that's my yeah, excuse. Yeah, that's okay. 
Um, Plato. That is incorrect. Oh, Mom, for the steal. Aristotle. It's Aristotle. <laughs> that was see. I should hey, go with my first choice. Yeah, that's okay. I tell my students that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's quite all right. See, if you were taught these things before, you know, maybe they just weren't stored in your long-term memory. This next question is about your short-term memory. How many oh. seconds does your short-term memory hold information for? Is it 30 seconds or less, approximately 50, 60 to 120 seconds, or none of the above? None of the above. And there is a correct answer in there. <laughs> okay. The other one. The other yeah. one. <laughs> Mom, do you want to give it a go? Uh, you want those choices again? I think, what was the first two? Um, 30 seconds or less, approximately 50, or like a minute to two minutes. A minute to two minutes. He's answering for me. <laughs> He's trying again. No, that's my edited. So that's the one you're gonna put in, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's the one okay. I put in. So you're gonna answer that for him since he already asked. Uh, that is incorrect. <laughs> you're kidding. Yeah. So, oh, so I said I said it was one of the first two. Right. So, um. So I'm getting close. Um, uh -huh. So. I want to say it's the second one, which was like a, was it 50 something? Approximately 50 seconds. Yeah. I want to say it's that one. That is also incorrect. It is the very first option. Okay. So it's 30 or less. Okay. It's I, I was, I was thinking, I don't remember things that well, but that doesn't mean everybody else does. Mm -hmm. So okay. what was the question? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's my short term. It's, it's now been four already. minutes since I asked yes. that question. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> We have a lot of listeners who probably yes. can appreciate that they struggle yeah. with these things too. So we're we're actually joining with all the other people, the majority of yeah. people who don't know how to answer these questions. <laughs> Did I mention that I'm 60 years old? So you know, I uh, yeah, that's, that's my your excuse. disadvantage. That yeah, yeah, you're automatically given two of these questions for free. Yeah, Rob, I'm older than you. Yeah, even though I'm 30. <laughs> even though she's 30. Okay. okay, but that's okay. There is there is no true punishment for this. I joke that you know when you pass, you get to keep your degree, but I have no authority in pulling pulling your credentials. Good. <laughs> you can continue uh, to practice. The good news is that usually this does not. These are questions that are not necessarily required in our licensure. Mm -hmm. So right. yeah, that's it. Thank you for playing. Get psyched. Yes. <laughs> do do do. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> So are you ready to go to the next segment, yes. my son? The final okay. one. This is a, a subjective question. This is um, something that we like to send off with uh, to give us a parting lesson and maybe an insight into something that you connect with. Do you have a mantra or a philosophy, um, You know, perhaps a couple words or a phrase that you've used or maybe shared with clients that you would share with us today? I have a couple. Uh, one of them is, and I used to hate this, but I, I added to it. So it makes it better. You know how people always say it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I used to always hate that. So I added an addendum. So it's, it is what it is. However, 
it isn't what it isn't. Okay. To me, it's more about like acceptance, you know? Yeah. Well, Rob, uh, thank you for sharing these stories, uh, you know, all these experiences and lessons mm-hmm. that you've learned over time and your expertise. I've really appreciated just hearing all these perspectives and these like very realistic ways to view mm-hmm. our issues and understand that they are apart from us. I, I, I felt like this has been a very informative episode for me. Good, good. And I, I really appreciate being invited. I was when when I first got the call, I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then, of <laughs> course, you know, knowing your mom for so long and, and you know, her being my supervisor years ago, yep. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. my God. I felt pressure. Yeah. So but. you had to. You had to answer the call. It was demanding. Yes. Yes. So I, 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 hope, I, had... I hope I did you proud. <laughs> you did a wonderful job, Rob. And also yeah. just an opportunity to reconnect with you has just been yeah. really great. So thank yeah, you so, cool. so much for all yeah. the thank you the stories and the narrative right. of of narrative therapy. Yeah. Thank you. You'll cool. be hearing from us in your performance review uh, <laughs> at the end of this quarter. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Thanks again, Rob. We hope you All right. It was great to meet well. you, by the way. You too. Take care. Thank you. Thanks Bye-bye. again. See you, buddy. All right. Bye. What did you get from this? You were saying that it had it had some kind of impact on you. I was curious. Yeah. I I really just appreciate um the perspective of it like that is something i feel is so useful to me i've i've thought about my problems internally so much right mm-hmm. and so when someone can just say okay well have your problem become personified and then what's its voice what is it saying like it just feels like a way to get your client talking get you know get yourself thinking and talking about the problem in a new way maybe you haven't explored before um, and then to make these realizations off of that, like mm-hmm. everything has a story. And obviously that I'm connecting to that so much more where I was like, yeah, I, I would just tell the story of that and then maybe <laughs> learn so much from like, oh, wait, I never just like had my anxiety have a name and a voice and ask, what does my anxiety want? And then suddenly be like, oh, OK. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think it, it helps us to take it like look at the outside look from the outside in and yeah. or in this way look from the in and see the outside or whatever it might be both ways yeah. um yeah just to be able to separate from that and begin to start noticing observing and seeing the narrative in that in that problem yeah uh, helps us to get less caught up in it i believe yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah no big thing yeah it being <laughs> a problem with a name is being something separate that being a you know a big core piece of this it reminds mm-hmm. me of a bit of relationship advice i was given a long time ago of like when you have an issue uh in your relationship it's you two versus the problem you know the problem is not your partner the problem is the external problem mm-hmm. and so it's important to remember that is that like yeah let's let's go up against the adversary and not include yourself and have some like self-loathing and, and be stuck just being critical about yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Was this informative for you? Uh, it was informative in, in 
you know, some different ways. I, I yeah. always appreciate the information being explained and sometimes it's just a different um, use of language, but it comes from yeah. a similar angle. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. There's just certain terms that are really focused. Correct. Yeah. Writing down something and looking at it, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think uh, is an opportunity to continue to uh, repair and yep. sort out. Uh, yep. Like, again, mostly if we keep and we have like we have a narrative, like we keep repeating what we think about ourselves or we have that story we tell ourselves. What we're really doing here is we're trying to say, let's shift that story ever so slightly and mm -hmm. see if we can try to as, if we shift that story, then guess what happens? We can also start to experience some positive change in our lives. Yeah. So because we get stuck, people get stuck in their stories, too. It happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, my son. I appreciate mm -hmm. our time together and always this opportunity for us to learn and grow. I hope yep. that our listeners also enjoyed this uh, opportunity for themselves in this process. Yeah. And you know how much I love you. I do. You know how much, I, like, you know how much I love I you. I do. I do. Ugh, I do. <laughs> but I love you too. I like to hear it. Uh, we uh, appreciate I all of you guys. You mucho. Mucho. Mucho, mucho. Uh, we appreciate all of you guys. We hope you have a great rest of your day, morning, week, weekend, wherever you're at right now. And uh, we hope you'll come back next week for our next topic. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Therapy with My Mom. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can best support us by reviewing and downloading the episode on whatever platform you listen on. Tell your family and loved ones about the show and don't forget to follow and engage with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Therapy With My Mom. You can also email us at therapywithmymom at gmail.com with any topic suggestions or stories you might want to have shared on the show. Great job, Ryan. Thanks, Mom. <laughs>